Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number nine, which is the last episode in our math series about teaching and helping students with disabilities be successful in math. And man, oh man, was that a lot of information. And so what I wanted to do to kind of wrap up this series is to share just kind of some big ideas and then some ideas that you can do to help and support them. And what I hope you'll see is I may have shared a strategy that was good to help student with working memory or good to help with sequential memory, but it might also help a student who has difficulty with visual processing or auditory processing. So this episode is kind of taking all of the things that we have discussed and maybe a few more and just helping remind you of things that maybe you're already doing and don't forget those, don't lose those, don't get so focused on adding new things that you forget all the wonderful things you're already doing. But at the same time, if I name five things and you're doing three of them, then maybe you could work to incorporate two more things to help students in other areas. Okay, so what I did is I took all of the things that I shared, all of the strategies, all of the tips in previous episodes, and I've organized them into kind of six categories. And so those categories are placeholders and trackers, aligning numbers and organization, recalling steps and information, eliminating or reducing when possible, using hundreds charts, and visual aids. Okay, so now I kind of want to go back and slow down and remind you what can you do if you're trying to help a student do X, Y, or Z. So let's start with placeholders and trackers. We know that all students learn differently. All students prefer different things. What works for one may not work with another. So when it comes to helping kids keep place of where they are or track their own progress, you might use bingo markers. Remember how you can put those on various numbers. So if they're solving something, they can come back to the bingo marker. Maybe you want to use desk pets in a similar way. Maybe their you know, pet dinosaur sits and is watching what they're doing and then they know where to come back to. So it's cute, it's fun, would work very well with little kids. Um, you can use erasers. I love Target Dollar Spot erasers. I literally have a giant tub of them divided by season, divided by maybe it's not seasonal, so it's food related, we could use it any time of year. Those are perfect sit it next to the problem that they are going to or that they are working to solve, and then their eyes know right where to come back to to place that answer. You can also use rulers. You can use colored overlays. You can train them that their finger goes in one place and their hand with the pencil is going in the other. So training them that, to be aware that, you know what, sometimes I lose my place and I've got to use my hand to help me keep track. 
also using highlighters. So for me, if we highlight that answer, okay, Mrs. Wolf, I'm ready to be checked. This one's highlighted. Number two is also highlighted. I'm ready to be checked. Number three, number four, highlight as you go. Now that doesn't mean I'm gonna rush over and check right away, but then they know I've already done all these that are highlighted. I'm coming here. My eyes know right where to go because it's not highlighted or it's the next one that is not highlighted. So give your students the opportunity to test and try and see what might work. Sometimes for me, I like to keep it as a learning experience. So maybe we talk about everybody prefers something different. Some people like colored overlays. Some people like rulers. Some people hate them and they would rather use their own hand or a bingo marker and that's okay. So give your students the opportunity to figure out what works best for them. When it comes to aligning numbers and organization, I have a couple things that I've already shared and I'm going to review and one other that I want to kind of introduce to you. The first is line paper turned sideways. I feel like that is an oldie but goodie. Um, teach your students why and how to use that. Just simply turning their paper to the side is not gonna do the trick. You've really got to show them how to write those numbers in, you know, I'm gonna line up all my ones. Then these are all of my tens and that's in the next line. So you really, really have to teach them how to use that. The same is true with graph paper. A lot of teachers that I know use graph paper, which is wonderful. I'm not saying it's bad, but we can't just throw it at them and expect them to know what to do with it. We already know that visually organizing information is a challenge. So if we just throw something at them with even more lines and even more visual um, noise for them, that's not going to help. So we really have to teach them how to use graph paper, how to use that line paper, give them examples, keep it posted in the room, let it be in their math notebook or their interactive notebook or a folder that you use every day, whatever. Let them see how the heck are we using this graph paper or line paper. I also like to give my students a ruler and we hold it vertically. So we're holding it up and down, not side to side horizontally like if we were measuring something, we're turning it and we're going to hold it up and down and we're going to slide that ruler over one column at a time. And it really lets our students see, okay, we're only focusing on the ones column right now. We're going to add those, subtract those, multiply those, whatever we have to do, but we're only focusing right here. No more than that, we don't care. And then once we finish our ones, then we're gonna slide our ruler over and use your ruler then to focus just on this part right here. So it really gives students a way to just visually organize information and then they're not focusing on all the other things that are on the paper. Because if we think about what we give to them, we give them a lot of text-heavy information. Their eyes and their brain, they don't know where to go. Their hand doesn't know where to go back to actually write an answer once they have it. So give them a way. I like to use like a wooden ruler or something that is not see-through. Like a lot of rulers anymore are transparent which is fine for some things, but for this, I like to have a wooden ruler or something made of plastic that is solid, not translucent. So just something to keep in mind. My last strategy for helping students get organized and align numbers is to use a math frame. 
Now, I want you to think about a math frame as kind of being similar to graph paper, only a little more defined. It's not just a blank piece of paper. It is a frame that is specifically designed to solve a certain type of problem. So let's say, for example, we are solving a three-digit by two-digit multiplication problem. I know I'm going to need three boxes for the first uh, problem or for the first number in my problem and then I'm going to need a spot to put my multiplication symbol and then I'm going to need a spot for my other my two digit number so I'm going to need boxes for each of those factors in the multiplication problem and then we know we're going to draw a line so the frame would have boxes for each of those numbers probably the multiplication symbol if it were me and then we would also draw the line then we know that we're probably going to have four numbers that are necessary in that first part of our multiplication problem if you're using a standard algorithm. Then the line below that, you're probably going to need maybe five digits, depending on the numbers, maybe even six digits. So you're going to need a plus sign. So the frame would have spots for every single one of those numbers. They might also have little teeny tiny boxes for numbers that you might carry. For example, if you had nine times four and you were going to have to write 36, there would be a spot for the six and a spot for the three. So what I like to think of this as is think of you as the teacher. You've already solved this problem and you're putting boxes or using like a graph paper kind of style there and you're gonna delete the numbers, but leave the boxes so that your students know something goes here, something goes there, something goes in this box. Oh, I'm gonna have to carry a one or carry a three. So try to give your students a frame for larger problems. Now I wouldn't do this with, you know, simple addition or simple subtraction, but think about long division. We've got arrows, we've got subtraction signs, we're actually dividing, so where does the dividing come into play? You know, we have a lot going on. So if you could give them a frame in which they're going to write various numbers of the problem and take it step by step, that can really help them organize information. So if you're like, girl, you did a terrible job explaining this, search like do a Google search for math frames and you'll see what I'm talking about. You can even find examples of things that you can either borrow or imitate or, or whatever, but look and see what is out there and then use that to help your students really organize themselves, especially for those lengthy things, those, those lengthy math processes so that you can really help simplify it for them. All right, next up, we have a few strategies for helping students recall steps and information. We know that that auditory and visual memory is so important when we're talking about math. We know that they have to remember and recall so much that they're both seeing and hearing. So you might try using songs, rhymes, or mnemonics to help them hear and remember some of those steps. I also have two other things that I really love, and I don't know if I really explicitly talked about them in some of the other math episodes, but they're gonna be here now. So the first is using interactive notebooks, and I have some mixed emotions on interactive notebooks. Um, I have seen them in classrooms done very well, and I have seen them done in classrooms very poorly. So if you love them or hate them, 
I'm sorry, I'm going to bash them and love them all at the same time. So I think if interactive notebooks take any more than about 10 to 15 minutes, you're doing it wrong. You have bought the wrong thing from Teachers Pay Teachers. You have made it yourself more complicated, something. They should be quick. You can't take forever in a day to do some of these things. I also think some of our students with disabilities need help making and cutting and folding and gluing and organizing. They need help with some of that. So while an interactive notebook is wonderful for this, it could also be something that causes them frustration. So you might have to really strongly weigh some of these. However, an interactive notebook is incredibly helpful for students to remember steps. In the last episode, I, or in the last um, little spot about organizing information, I said, give them something telling them how to use graph paper. Give them some examples. How to use line paper turned sideways. Give them examples. Those are all things that could be stored in an interactive notebook, but not if we never use it. Not if it's too cumbersome. So I think they're wonderful, but if we just make it and forget it, it's pointless. If we make it and we hate it because it takes so long, again, it's useless. So I feel like you have to do it right, but an interactive notebook with some hints and examples and maybe some activities, some vocabulary words, it could be done very, very well depending on kind of how you approach it. So interactive notebooks could be valuable in the right circumstances to help them recall information, to know what the steps are to doing various problems. Now, the last piece here is kind of a strategy for students who maybe a song or a rhyme or a mnemonic isn't quite their jam. Maybe an interactive notebook isn't quite your jam or isn't fitting for them. But we can teach our students to be advocates for themselves by asking for additional examples. Now, for some of our kids, this is easy. They would ask the teacher something all day long. But for others, this is hard. So we know, or you know, if you've listened to my episode about memory, that some students, depending on what their areas of strength or weakness are with memory, maybe they do so great for that week that you're working on it. But when it comes back as a spiral review or on a unit test or a unit review or something that, you know, some period of time has elapsed, it might be hard for them. And they need to know and be trained, don't give up on it. Don't just slop down some answer, but ask your teacher for either help with that specific problem or an additional example. So a lot of times, whenever I am giving students a math test for the week, um, whether it be like their weekly test or a unit test, a lot of times I don't give them any of the answers to that problem. I work out another problem on the board or a scrap piece of paper, and then they can see the process. Remember, I told you I love math because if I know what to do on one problem, I should be able to generalize that and do that with any problem. So give them one or two or three examples. Maybe, it, depending on the setting, that could be something that you just do before you even begin the test. However, there are going to be things where we think, oh, they're gonna do so good with this. And then you see the results of the test afterwards, you're like, oh man, <laughs> that was much harder than I thought. So train them, teach them. It is okay if you're like, you know, Mrs. Wilp, 
I know we've done this, but I just can't remember how to do blah, 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 blah. Teach them to be advocates for themselves. So whether you are the one giving them additional examples or they are asking and advocating for themselves for additional examples, do it. Teach them that. Let them know that that is okay because sometimes remembering things is hard. My next strategy, I'm going to do my best to keep very, very short, sweet, and to the point. And that is, when possible, eliminate or reduce. And I like those two verbs there because there are some things that we could just eliminate altogether. If it's not necessary to the skill, then just get rid of it. Why are we making students' lives harder or our lives harder by requiring them to be the writer or them to do this or it's their job to do that? So there are some times when if we know it's really difficult for them, then let's eliminate it. But then there are also times, such as copying, I think it is important for students to work on and practice copying from the board. Because if we literally never practice something that is hard for us, then we are never going to get better at it. However, if it is not the targeted skill at that moment, if that's not what we're measuring, if that's not what we're practicing, then why are we wasting time working on copying? And so I think I told you in the episode where we were talking a little bit about this and the motor and spatial difficulties that some of our students have, for a long time, I did my printed math intervention that I have right now. I Before I printed it, I literally did the exact same thing that I'm doing in the book, only I just made up problems on the fly. I wrote them on my dry erase board and the kids copied them in their math notebook, which was fine. However, we spent more time copying things from the board than we did solving math problems. And so I'm not saying that it's bad for them to only copy or bad for them to only use the book. I think we need a mix of those two things. Or I think we need to be mindful that during my 15-minute math group, which to me is not long enough, I don't have time to waste on copying things off of the board. So I think when possible, things that are not practicing that targeted skill, are we practicing copying right now? Or are we practicing two-digit addition and subtraction? Guess what? I'm practicing addition and subtraction at that moment. On occasion, we could copy. That's fine. But at that moment, I'm, I'm not working on that skill. So if it's a long task and we're not working on, you know, the skill of copying, then focus on the skill that you are working on and do what you can to eliminate or reduce some of those barriers for them. Another eliminate or reduce opportunity comes with background noise and distractions. This to me is a very, very simple one to help students with memory. Some of our students with memory, specifically things like attention deficit, things of that nature, background noise and distractions could be one of the biggest things that is causing them to struggle. So maybe that means they need to sit in the front of the room. Maybe that means that they need to have one spot where they're working quietly and one spot where they come to actually participate in small group or whole group lessons. And so be mindful of that. And if you can eliminate or reduce some of that background noise, do it. Next, we have the hundreds chart. And you know I love a hundreds chart. And I love it because I can use it and adapt it in so many ways. And so some of the ways that I use it is to help students copy numbers correctly. 
So if I can point or they can point to number 42, then they can usually copy that number off of the hundreds chart. I also like that it can be used for self-checking. So if a student knows, man, I write a lot of my numbers backwards, and that's something that we have talked about with them, then they can use their hundreds chart to check. Okay, is this three backwards? Oh yeah, man, I got that one backwards and I'm gonna erase. But what I find with a lot of my students is they might write a three backwards once, but they don't write the three backwards every single time. And so that act of self-checking, is this one right or is this one wrong? It, it's important for them to be able to self-check. And a hundred chart is a wonderful resource. And if you already have it out and you're using it for other things, like um, almost using it like a number line, then it's already out. And students don't even know that, hey, this student's also using it to check and see if her number three is backwards. I'm just using it like a number line. So it's a wonderful, wonderful tool and I use it all the time. I also like to use it as a visual aid while counting. So we talked a little bit about in a previous episode where students who struggle to process auditory information might not process quite as fast as others. They might process those a little differently and confuse numbers like 12 and 20 and things that just sound so similar, 40, 14, they don't hear that we're saying something else. And so to be able to point and follow along and say it out loud can sometimes be very, very helpful for them. You can also use it like a number line, which I have already mentioned. I love that. We can use it in so many ways. And once we train them, you put your finger on seven, count up four, then they know exactly what to do. I also love to use it um, for finding and seeing and helping them understand patterns. The hundred charts that I have are laminated and so we just use dry erase markers. And so if we're trying to find a pattern in numbers and it says, you know, 10, 20, 30, we might circle the 10, circle the 20, circle the 30. And then maybe some students are saying, oh, we're just going right down this row. Okay, well, what would the next three numbers be? Maybe they're not getting that and we need to physically count. Okay, we're going up one, two, three, four, five, and count up until we get to 10. So it really gives them the opportunity to find and see and kind of help make sense of some of those patterns. And we know that some of our students with those visual perceptual difficulties, they don't see patterns in the same way that we might notice them. And our last strategy or our last kind of category here is visual aids. So visual aids, I am going to be really honest. This is my weakness. This is what I would like to work to get better at for the next school year. So anchor charts, I love when somebody else writes it, when I see them on Pinterest, when I see them by pretty much anyone else except for me. I hate my own handwriting, so I never use anchor charts, but they are incredibly valuable for our students. Also, interactive notebooks. I told you, uh, you know, references earlier to help them remember steps. Interactive notebooks could be incredibly helpful as a visual aid. I also like color-coded cheat sheets. So by color-coding, I mean maybe green is where you start. Red is the last step of the problem. Yellow might be what you're doing in the middle. And so kids know green, this, okay, I'm gonna start here in the ones column and I'm gonna see eight minus nine, can I do that? So color coding 
as a cheat sheet, which again could go in their interactive notebook, give them something that is color coded and they know this is where I start. And then I'm going to do that and I'm going to stop with this. So color coded cheat sheets are extremely helpful for students. I also like those example problems for reference. Um, I think really to a second grade teacher who does this so well, we all know if you have ever been in second grade, how hard subtraction with regrouping is, not just for our students with disabilities, but just all students. I kind of relate it to that fourth and fifth grade long division. I thought the same thing there. It's like you're ready to rip your hair out. You're questioning your ability to teach at all. Like, goodness, why do they trust me with these kids? I'm never going to teach them to divide. And then suddenly they start to get it. But reference sheets with examples, especially step-by-step-by-step -step -step examples, are wonderful. And so the second grade teacher that I was originally, what started me off on this little tangent, she does subtraction with regrouping so, so well, as in she has step one, and it has the problem. Step two, and it has you're going to look in the ones column. Step three, you're going to ask yourself, is it bigger on the bottom or, you know, whatever little phrase they use, then this is what you're going to do. And it's like 10 printer pages of each step by step by step. And so her kids will use it as even like a get up and move and use this and walk through each of these steps physically. So it's a wonderful tool and something that honestly we we could type up for any math activity or any math skill that you're working on. And what I assume she did is she made that little page with everything, all of the steps, the final last number 10 step, and then printed it, deleted something, printed that one, deleted something, printed that page, deleted something, until she was back at the beginning and then laminated all of those pages. And now it serves as a tool for her students all the time. For your older students, I think this is also something that you can train them to do. They can make their own cheat sheets. They can make their own notes. They can provide their own examples and just give them a place or a system for storing that or referencing that. Maybe they do it digitally. We can always use technology in amazing ways to allow them to see each and every one of these steps. So in addition to you doing it, for some of your students, it might be perfect to teach them to do it themselves. And while all of those beautiful anchor charts and step-by-step -step to each and every problem is wonderful and valuable, don't forget the basic things like having a word wall with all of your vocabulary words, having a spot where on the board maybe you use some of those words or you pull those off the word wall and you place them onto the board so that they can see and reference, oh, Yes, there are all of these math words, a hundred of them may be on the wall, but these are the three that we're focusing on this week. Maybe you have references to sentence stems or directional words so that they can visually see all of those things in the classroom and use it when needed. And just posting it in your classroom isn't enough. We have to point it out. Remember, if we don't know left from right, this is what we can do. If we don't know up or down, there are spots to look, so we have to also use it and reference it. We can have a beautiful anchor chart on the wall, but if all it is is beautiful, it's not practical or used on a regular basis, 
then I'm sorry, that's not useful. So we have to do what we can to not only put the visuals, but show them and help them use them on a regular basis. Whew, that's a lot of strategies, a lot of things to try. And remember from the first episode, I said, I'm gonna share what I think or what I do or what I would try, but there are probably 10 more strategies that you could use for each and every one of these difficulties that you might see in your students. So experiment, play around, see what works, see what doesn't work. And remember that every student is different. And while one student might need this strategy, the student sitting right across from them needs something totally different. So be on the lookout for what your students need. How can you help them with various strengths and weaknesses? And remember to pick it apart. There are so many players in this game of school and how we're successful. And lastly, I want to let you know that this is the last episode of the series. However, next week we'll be starting the back to school and or the beginning of the school year series of podcast episodes. So for some of us, we go back really early. And so I'm going to try to share some of those really important things like the first week of school and back to school night. I'll share those early on, but I also want to talk about um, classroom management and how, you know, how you can utilize your paraprofessionals and communicating with general education teachers. So there's a lot of information that is very important for the beginning of the school year. And so I can't wait to share what I do and hear from some of you guys. So thank you so much and I'll see you in season four. Well, my friends, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the resource room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.